0: I, uh, we had an elders' meeting, with all the lead elders of the uh, different congregations. We've got 23 different sites in Josh Jen. Uh, and unlike some other multi site churches, we uh, all preach our own sermons. So it's not like it's uh, relayed from one central place via video uh, to the different locations. Um, And uh, so we got a bit of a report back on some of the preaching that's been taking place. And um, some of the preachers that have taken place have been very long. And so we went through the different guys that have been preaching at the 23 different sites. And uh, some of the guys preached for over an hour. There was one guy that preached a sermon for one hour and 10 minutes. Listen, this is supposed to be the good news, not torture, (laughs) You know, I'm a firm believer, you know, if you ain't struck oil in 30 minutes, stop boring, you know. Uh, And and I'm held to that fact. So they went through all the different uh, uh, times that the preachers were preaching. And some were 50 minutes, some went down to 45 minutes. The closest person to 30 minutes, and this has been a request of Andrew, he said, guys, I want you to preach for 30 minutes. The closest guy to preach to 30 minutes was me. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I hope after 30 or 33 minutes, it was 33 minutes, uh, I hope after 33 minutes, you would I say, yay, he's finished! <laughs> but rather, yay, we've heard God. Okay. I want, I want to continue in last week's theme, talking about uh, storms, and we looked at Paul and the shipwreck that took place at the bottom of the Adriatic Sea. Uh, Paul left in order to go to Rome. And he's now a prisoner and he wants to make an appearance before Caesar. And uh, the ship ran into a a series of storms and went up and down at the bottom of the Adriatic Sea. And then finally uh, came to a uh, stop on the rocks of Malta. And uh, there's one particular verse that gripped me uh, last week and I spent a bit of time preaching or thinking about it. So I'm going to preach about that this morning. And it comes from Acts 27 and verse 29. And this is what uh, this passage of Scripture says. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Did I miss a word? Four. They dropped four anchors. I I, I was fascinated with that. They dropped four anchors. Why? Why four? What are the four anchors of our soul that we need to concentrate on. Do you have anchors in life? Do you have anchors that can hold you steady when you are in the midst of the storm? There's some of us here this morning that uh, are, you know, traveling along uh, gladly. You're just in a good place in your life uh, like... um, Francois and Irina, who got married yesterday, and uh, and, and, and they, 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 they're in church, and they're on their honeymoon. Woo! <laughs> so all those good words that Skulk had, uh, is just for them too, you know, don't forsake the assembling of the saints, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Some of you are in a good place, and others of you are not. Others of you are in a hurricane, and you are being buffeted by large, angry waves. Not even the wisest person can uh, forecast what's going to happen in life. You know, And just short of a moment's notice, you can be in the midst of a storm, just like that. But what are the anchors that hold you steady? So in this passage, in verse 29, the ship was laboring in the storm. It was being tossed to and fro in the Mediterranean at the bottom of the Adriatic. It was threatened by the rocks of Malta, and the writer says they cast four anchors out from the stern and wished for daybreak. Hmm. Have you ever done that? Just wished for daybreak, but did you have four anchors? What's worse than a stormy sea? What's worse than uh, experiencing a rough, rough hurricane? Maybe uh, winds of doubt. Maybe uh, sorrow. And some of you might be experiencing a bit of sorrow now. Maybe some temptation has come like jagged rocks. But life is frail and we need to have some anchors. And so I would say that the first anchor here would be our belief in God. At the ripe old age of 14, I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. been walking with Him for 46 years. And it's been an incredible journey. I gave my life at a Billy Graham crusade in Durban. It was at the height of the charismatic renewal, came into a knowledge and an understanding of being filled with the Holy Spirit and have journeyed with the Lord all these years. It hasn't always been great. We've had some scars along the way. But on that day, at that wonderful age of 14, I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have known the benefits of being a Christian, I've known the implications of being a Christian, and have come under discipleship many times. But when you experience the benefits, and probably the best benefit of all is the knowledge that one day we will be with Him in heaven. Another benefit is just walking with the Lord steadily every single day and being part of a church, being part of a a group of guys that are walking with you that are uh, speaking into your life, uh, having leaders over you that speak into your life and help you and counsel you and uh, see that you are uh, handling the Christian faith in the best way possible. You see Christianity is about God's grace. It's not what we do for God, it's really what, what He does for us. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 and 6, we see this. Paul wrote this. It's it's God reconciling himself to man. It's not us climbing up a mountain to God, but it's God who had descended the mountain who has come to us. Uh, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men and the man, Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Jesus is our mediator. And so the first thing is the, the belief in God. But I, I want to just tag a little bit on there about our belief within ourselves. You see, God has said to us, He's spoken over our lives something of great importance and great value. If I had to ask people, uh, uh, who would you who would you like to be right now? I think 80% of the people that we ask that question to would be... Um, they would prefer to be somebody else. And that's, that's very sad. I, I, I want to remind you this morning that you are all you have. And we need to recognize and appreciate that fact. In uh, the book, Souls on Fire, the author uh, says that one day we're going to die and we're going to stand before our maker. And he's not going to say to us, Why didn't you become a Messiah? Why didn't you find the cure for cancer? Why didn't you change the course of human history? What he's going to ask you is, why didn't you become fully you? Why didn't you become fully you? And we need to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about what God's view of us is. And in the book of Joshua, we see in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 7. And this is what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you. Wow. The Lord is going to exalt us. Some translations say, Magnify you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So God says to Joshua, I want to exalt you. I want to magnify you. I want to uh, uh, elevate you. So God says to Joshua, this thing. But is it only Joshua that he says that to? My Bible also tells us in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 that God is no respecter of persons. And you know, when I when I read that God is no respecter of persons, He doesn't, it means that He doesn't value somebody over and above another. And so the question is why is we as human beings are always so negative upon ourselves? Look at what the Israelite spies said when they crossed uh, into the promised land as they were scouting. And the Israelite spies came back and they said, we've seen the land, we've seen what's there, we've seen the walled cities, we've seen the people that are there, we've seen the produce that's been grown there. And they come, came back and they said, we are like grasshoppers. That was their picture of themselves, we're like grasshoppers. Gideon, he's he's hiding uh, from the Midianites in, in, a, in, a, in an area where he's just trying to get some leftover wheat and to just fill his belly a little bit because he's hungry. And he, he's, he's, he's hiding and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord is standing before him and he's going, whoa. And the angel says, you are a mighty warrior, a victorious champion. And Gideon thinks, who's he talking to? It's not me. I'm the least of my family and I come from a poor family. But he said to him, you are a victorious champion. To Peter. To Peter. Peter Jesus comes to, to Peter and says, come follow me. He says, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You see, we we, we we got a wrong view of ourselves. When God sees us, he sees something different. He sees something different. And we need to view ourselves as God sees us. I think... You know, people say, well, you know, to view ourselves in any other way other than really low is arrogance and pride. But, you know, I understand that if God says that you are a certain way, if he says you are a victorious champion, if God says that to somebody, if he says, I want to magnify you, if he sees that and says that to you, and we say, no, 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 you're wrong, I'm this way, then that's pride and that's arrogance. And God says to us, I want, I want to elevate and exalt you. Listen to what he says in Matthew 11 and verse 11. Okay, So this is Jesus is, has been dealing with John the Baptist. And I tell you the truth. Among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Okay, So I often say to the congregation, and I've said this in the past, who is the greatest person in the Bible other than Jesus himself? And Jesus says, it's John the Baptist. There's no one risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Read that again. He who is least in the kingdom, you, maybe, is greater than he. That's how God sees us. So when we believe in God and the Spirit of God, who is right from the very beginning dwelt with the Father and the Son, lives inside of us and empowers us along the way. That's how He sees us. We have God living inside of us. God takes pleasure in His people. Let's look at Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. (laughs) God takes delight in you. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This blows my mind. That God sings over us because he delights in us. Why did God save you? Let's go to Psalm 18 and verse 19. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. How much does God love you right now? Ephesians 3 verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's how much God loves you. It surpasses knowledge. You can't comprehend. You have no idea of the vastness and the magnitude of God's love towards you. That you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. When will He stop loving you? Let's go to Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, Nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's how much He loves you. In short, God takes pleasure in His people. He takes pleasure in you. Realize that. Function in your relationship as a result of that. So the first anchor is believe in God and believe what God has said on on your life. The second anchor I would like to say is hope. Hey, the first one is important. The second one is equally as important. And there's only one other reference in the whole of Scripture that deals with an anchor of hope. And that is Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The hope as an anchor. As long as there is hope, life cannot destroy you. You might be hurting. You might be breaking up. But where there is hope, you will be able to weather the toughest storm. But when hope goes out, When hope begins to disappear, things begin to go wrong. Your heart grows heavy like lead. Praise and encouragement turns to criticism and cynicism. And life begins to look fragile and the ship begins to go under. You need hope. And that anchor of hope needs to be Christian hope. It's not just a vague thing called positive vision. It is based on Christian hope based on who Jesus Christ is. What is Christian hope? It's an attitude towards the life of the person of Jesus Christ as we gaze and look into his wonderful face and having that attitude. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15, and verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the holy spirit by the god of hope god is the one who creates hope and god in his revealed character is the one who gives hope to you the psalmist cries out in psalm 42 and verse 5 why are you in despair why are you downcast O oh my soul why so disturbed within me put your hope in god so he's speaking and he's feeling all of these things and he says put your hope in god for, yet, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior. Our hope is on the everlasting rock. And things can come our way. Cancer can be diagnosed. Unexpected deaths come to us as families and friends. Defections from the ministry. Moral failures, bankruptcies, church splits, widespread disillusion. But we need to realize that we need to trust and hope in God. At the end of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, and three things remain faith, hope, and love. We often hear about faith, we often hear about love, we don't often hear about hope, but when hope begins to disappear, faith and love begin to follow soon afterwards. We need to hope in God. I love the story of William Carey, who was a missionary to India, had to undergo unbelievably gruesome things, hardships. He had three wives. They all died. He outlived three women. And I mean, to put three women into the grave, three wives, must have been a horrendous experience. Struggled with his children while he was bringing the gospel to India. And he said this, Attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Satan was pouring out his heaviest artillery on the sky. And he said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from him. Another reason for hope is because of the resurrection. We've just celebrated that just recently, the resurrection uh, of, of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that there is hope. Despite what happens to us in this life, there is hope for eternity that comes and Jesus because of what he was able to accomplish after the cross and he rose from the dead we have this incredible hope the greek tells us in first uh, peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4 "He said blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection Of Jesus Christ from the dead. The original Greek says impelled by his abundant mercy. And that's what it is. We've got this this inward motivation that drives us on. Because we hope and we trust in this God. No Jesus, no hope. But with Jesus, great hope. There is an old hymn that goes something like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You need to have the anchor of belief. You need to have the anchor of hope. The third one is the anchor of prayer. The anchor of prayer. It boggles my mind that so few of us spend time praying. God help the person who leaves the harbor and goes out into that wild sea without the anchor of prayer in their arsenal. We have to have prayer. If we don't pray, I think we're on a one-way course. Why don't people pray? You see, the Apostles' Creed says, in the very first line, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I mean, just, just consider that statement. I believe in God the Father. Father talks about relationship. Father talks about intimacy. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Okay, so this is this, is this Almighty God who is the maker of heaven and earth. I mean, I, I, I read an interesting bit of information a little while ago. Uh, The Voyager 2, this planetary probe that was sent off from the Earth, it left Earth on the 20th of August 1977. And it has transmitted data back to Earth. It is traveling faster than a bullet at 144,000 kilometers an hour. Twelve years later, on the 28th of August 1989 it reached Neptune. That was 4 billion 320 million kilometers away. And it will continue to go into galaxies. It will have to travel to reach the first star as it exits our galaxy of the nine planets. It will have to travel 958,000 years, traveling at 144,000 kilometers an hour. It will have to travel 958,000 years to get to the first star. And the guys tell us that there are over 100 billion stars. Writer of the book of Genesis says, he made the stars also. This is the God that we relate to. And we call him Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You see, what happens when we're facing temptation and we don't pray? I mean, when we pray, we open ourselves up it's a channel and God is able to pour His strength into our lives and we can become more sturdy, more stable, more secure because of what He has done. You see, prayer also is a vital activity that encourages us in our relationship with the Father. As we spend time in the Word, as we just just bask in His goodness, we can hear His whisper. We can hear His speaking him speaking to us. And we respond with thanksgiving and with praise and with adoration and confession and listening. And it needs to be uninterrupted. You see, prayer changes our lives. It changes our situations and it changes other situations as well. In Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And We need to realize I love the story of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, who, in his life, he wrote down a hundred names of people that he had prayed for. And when he got to the end of his life, not all the hundred names had come to know the Lord. Only 96 names had come to know the Lord. And then his funeral took place a few days later. And the four that he had prayed for, to make up the hundred were at the funeral. And all four of them came to know the Lord. I, I love it. So prayer lingers. Prayer changes things. And if you go into, in, in, into life without prayer, you are missing such a vital element of your spiritual life. You're missing a a, a huge, huge anchor that can steady you in the midst of a storm. When you're going through a hurricane, just to say, God, help me. What an infusion of power. What an infusion of love. What an infusion of security that comes into our lives. Listen to what uh, what Luke tells us when Jesus was baptized. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Okay, did not put that one there. Okay, sorry. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. When Jesus was baptized, and it says, while he was praying, while he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and God spoke to him. But the clear reference there is, while he was praying, heaven opened. While you are praying, heaven will open. The anchor of prayer. The anchor of belief, the anchor of hope, and the anchor of prayer. And the last one is the anchor of the cross of Christ. 1 hmm. John chapter 3, and verse 16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Such love. Such incredible love. When the storms arrive, there's no anchor like God's love in your life. Temptations will come for you to walk a straight and narrow path. You need to know the love of the Savior on your life. The cross of Christ has been central to the Christian faith right from the very beginning. Paul tells us in Galatians 6 and verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross. I mean, there are many things that Paul could boast about. He could boast about his incredible education. He was one of the most intelligent people that ever lived on the face of the earth. He's the world's greatest missionary. He was a guy who could speak many, many languages. And he could boast about all of those things. Even in the theology of the Christian faith, he could talk about and boast about the virgin birth. He could boast about the miracles of Jesus. He could boast about all the other things, but he chose to boast about the cross of Christ. Because Jesus died for the world. He died for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you're a part of that. Jesus died for you. For you. And the cross of Jesus Christ also marks the end. It marks the death of sin. You know, we, we tend to downgrade the seriousness of sin. You know, we, we compare ourselves with the average person, the guy sitting in the pew next to us. But that shouldn't be our comparison, because maybe we are better than the person sitting next to us. Our comparison is Jesus Christ, and when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we fall short every time. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. You're not as good as Jesus Christ. You're not holy. We're sinners. And we have broken the laws of God, and we are accountable to Him. And someday we will stand before the judgment seat, and God will come and judge us. Sin affects us. It affects us in every single way. It affects our minds so that we don't understand spiritual things. It affects our will because we tend to go and do the wrong things and don't have a sensitivity towards the things of God. It affects our conscience because it makes us less sensitive to the things of God. It, it affects our lives. It affects our eternal destination. Because if we don't have Jesus Christ, if you haven't been washed by the blood, then it will affect our destination. But the cross has dealt with sin. It's dealt with sin in every way. It's dealt with its depth. It's dealt with its seriousness. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us us all. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross and he cried out at that one point, he cried out that exclamation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that particular moment, God the Father gathered all the sins of the world, past, present and future, and placed them on Jesus Christ. And at that moment when sin separated him for the first time from the Father, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's why in Isaiah 53, he has placed on him the iniquity of us all. The great reformer, Martin Luther, had a dream one day. And in that dream, he stood before God in judgment. And Satan was on the side. And all that Satan was doing was hurling accusation after accusation. Sin after sin. Transgression after transgression. And Martin Luther began to feel so bad. His heart sunk into despair. And then he remembered the cross of Jesus Christ. And he turned to Satan and he said, you have forgotten one thing. And Satan said, and what is that? And this is what Martin Luther said. It is this. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What an anchor. What love. The cross also. Reminds us of God's love. You see you're not far enough for God to stoop down and to reach down and to pick you up. No matter how far you think you've fallen, He'll reach down and pull you up. When Jesus died on the cross, He died for every single person on the face of the earth. The cross of Jesus Christ establishes our salvation. Man's greatest problem is his sin. Man's greatest need is forgiveness. The cross of Jesus Christ helps us to serve. A person was visiting Mother Teresa many years ago before she died, while she was ministering to the poor and brokenhearted in Calcutta. And the man asked Mother Teresa, why do you do this? And slowly but surely she turned and she looked at the cross on the wall. She lifted up her little hand and she pointed to the cross and says, that's why. The cross helps us to serve. And the cross guarantees our future life. There will come a day, and the book of Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 5, there will come a day when this will happen. There will be a vast multitude from every tribe, from every nation that will come. It will be like singing like you've never heard ever, ever before. And they will say, You were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That comes from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Four anchors. Belief. Hope. Just testing. And the cross of Christ. Do you have those four anchors? you'll be able to withstand any storm if you have those four anchors. Let's pray together.